0: Wow. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. The last time I was here, we were thinking earlier, I think it was like 1998 or 99, and, and uh, some of the ladies who were helping out in the cafe this morning, I spoke to them, they remembered that a long time ago. Was it, what had it been about that time? Right around 98 or 99, I think. Uh, was it Ruth Ann? You said your son was a drummer, maybe? Or Yes. So, uh, is, is he still around here? Playing drums? Maybe not. Uh, so, great to be back. It's an honor and a privilege. I've loved Rick. And Diane, for so long, and again, we kind of came up through the ranks. When I first moved to uh, Michigan in 1995 to be the worship leader at the Granville Res Life Church, he was there. They were attending there, and uh, so you came here in 95, fall 95. 95? Yep. So within, So we had a couple months of overlap in Granville and got to know him then. But I remember we used to drive and meet each other for lunch yep. and uh, through the years when, when he was here and when I was in Granville, and I was always so encouraged by him, so grateful for his spirit and uh, his love for the church, his love for you. And as we came this morning, one of the things Jason and I were surprised at, this church, of all the churches I think I've ever been at, you guys were early. Like a half hour before church, there were all these people here. And I'm thinking, is church starting at 9.30 or 10? I was amazed. You guys are early. That is not typical. Okay? So know that. You guys stand out in a crowd, okay? All right. Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you the title. And what the title of what I'm going to talk about is going to make no sense. I'll let you know that right from the start. Uh, it will make no sense to you, but by the end, it will make sense. Right have you ever been to a movie where you, you you got the title and you're waiting like you're waiting for like where did the title come from? And you're watching the movie and you're leaning in and all of a sudden, aha! That's that's where it came from. That's where it came from. Or you're reading a book, and in the story, all of a sudden, it will come to you know it will come to you. Well, that's kind of how this message will be this morning. Okay. If you have your Bibles. Please open them, your device or your Bible, whatever the case might be. I'm going to read to you from Psalm chapter 130. Psalm 130, we're going to unpack it, lean into it, and walk away inspired this morning. Amen. Psalm 130, it says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Hear my voice, and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. And I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquity. I want to talk to you this morning about what I'm going to call the day profundus. The day profundus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. This is a day that you've made, God. And I just thank you, as, as Pastor Rick said, we have experienced you this morning. Your presence is here. You are here with us. And God, I pray that you would make this passage, this day profundus, come to mean so much to us this morning. Inspire us, commission us, equip us, Send us out different than when we came. In Jesus' name, everyone together said, amen. 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 Question for you. How many of you speak more than one language? Anybody? Okay, a couple. What languages do we speak? You can, you can talk at me. Anybody? Espanol. Espanol Spanish, okay. Uh, is, uh, others. What's, what languages? Any other languages in the house? My wife speaks three languages. She grew up in Germany, which, Croatian, so Croatian citizen. Grew up in Germany speaking cro- uh, Croatian and German, and then started learning her English at like 17, 18 years old. So she's trilingual, right? What, what do you call someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call someone who speaks three? Trilingual. My wife is trilingual. Uh, what, 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 do you call, uh, what do you call someone who speaks one language? An American. See? This is true. This is very true. Um, and you go to the rest of the world, people speak multiple languages. Here, we typically speak one, okay? So, uh, but there is a language that you probably are unaware of how much you know of this particular language, and that language would be Latin. You know a lot of Latin words, even though you don't know that you know a lot of Latin words. Like, for example, the word circa. You know, circa, it's Latin for, like, about. So if you say, oh, this was like circa 1950, it means, well, it was roughly about 1950, okay? There are other various Latin phrases that you know, like like post-mortem means, what, after death. Uh, maybe you remember carpe diem. Do you know what carpe diem means? Seize the day. And those of you who are in the military, semper fidelis means always faithful, always faithful right? I'm going to introduce you this morning to a Latin phrase that you probably never heard of. It's this day profundis. Now, there are passages in the Bible where we've actually, they're, they're so profound and, if you will, so famous that they've gotten their own title. They have their own title. For example, uh, if I say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me to lie down. What do we call that passage? The 23rd Psalm. If I say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What do we call that? The Lord's Prayer. Uh, Thou shalt not the Ten Commandments. See, all I have to say is that short phrase, and you get it, okay? So there are several passages in the Bible, again, so profound, so famous, if you will, that they've gotten their own title. Psalm 130 has been given its own title, and maybe you didn't know this. It's called the De Profundis. And De Profundis is a Latin phrase, and it means this. Are you ready? It means from the depths. From the depths. You might not know this, but for about 1,200 years of Christianity, the predominant Bible that was used was called the Latin Vulgate. It was translated in around 300 AD by a man named Jerome. Can you imagine? He translated the entire Bible by himself. Okay? If you look in your Bibles, you'll see that there are many editors and translators. I mean, there might be a list of 100 or 50 or 80. Most of our modern translations today have many different people who've worked on it. But in around 300, circa around 300 A.D., Jerome translates the Bible into Latin. And for 1,200 years of Christianity, it was the predominant translation that the church leaned into. So... Jerome translates the opening phrase in Psalm 130, where it says, out of the depths, from the depths. Jerome translates it, de profundis, which means literally, from the depths. And the original Hebrew that it would have been written in, it literally meant, like God, from hell itself. God, from the place where, it literally was the place where the dead dwell. The psalmist is saying, God, it's from this place that I cry out to you. It's called the De Profundis, And Martin Luther said it was his favorite psalm of all the psalms, the De Profundis, And he said that the entire gospel was in this passage, Psalm 130. So I want to unpack it for you. I want to help you understand it. I want to, and then I want to connect it to the great commission that Jesus gives in the book of John. Because I think this passage... ...should be part of our understanding when it comes to the commission that Jesus has given to us. Now, let me read it to you again and I'm going to unpack it for you. Psalm 130, out of the depths, meaning again, de profundis. Can you say that with me, in fact, de profundis, okay? Now, he says, out of the depths. Now, if you'll notice the heading in my Bible, probably in your Bible also, this is called a song of ascent, okay? This is a song of ascent, meaning this is that the writer's letting you know at the top of his song that this song is going to rise, it's not going to descend, it's going to ascend. So it's going to start in somewhat of a low place, but it's going to end joyfully, okay? So that was a cue, you know, Jonathan and the worship team this morning, as they were leading. You know, musicians think of this like growing music, you know, it should build and there should be dynamic range. Well, the writer of this song is saying, this is what the song's going to feel like. It's going to ascend, it's going to end joyfully, it's going to start heavy, but it's going to end up. So he says... A song of ascent. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication, he's praying. From the beginning of the psalm, there are three. It's interesting because this psalm progresses this way. At the beginning, the songwriter, the singer, the songwriter is, is talking to the Lord. And then the progression changes. He then talks to himself. And then he ends by actually talking to Israel or the congregation, if you will. But he starts by talking to the Lord. God. And he says, "From the depths, God, De Profundis, from the place where the dead dwell, God, from this very difficult, horrible place, I cry out to Him. God, hear my prayer. Have you ever been? Have you ever found yourself in a De Profundis place, where you felt like, God, this feels like the place where the dead dwell. God, this is too difficult to hold. God, and in, in the place, sometimes you can think, God, are you there? Are you hearing me? God, do your ears hear my supplication? God, can you?" Can you you hear me? God, are you with me? That's the place that the psalmist is coming from. But he's going to ascend. He's not going to stay in the place where the dead dwell. He's going to come out of it. Now, he says, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And then he continues to talk to the Lord. He says, If you mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now, The writer in verse 3 gives us a clue as to why he is in this day profundus place. And this is very important to know. Is the writer of the psalm in this place that is so difficult because something has happened to them? Or are they in this place because they have, if you will, they have sinned, they have committed an iniquity? The writer lets us know he's in this place because of his own iniquity. Now, there can be times in your life where, where maybe you're, you're sad or you're, you're, you're in a day profundus place, but maybe it's because you lost a loved one. Maybe it's because something was done to you, something you didn't see coming, took you by surprise and broke your heart and put you in this day profundest place. But the writer of this psalm is saying, God, if you mark the iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you, Lord, there's forgiveness. Yeah. So the psalmist is saying, God, I'm crying out from this place, and, and God... I got to this place because of my own failure, because of my own sin, because of me, God. That's why I'm here. Now, maybe you've been in that type of place before, where you found yourself de profundis, and it was because of your own decisions, because of your own failures, because of that. This psalm is known as a penitential psalm. There are seven of them in the psalms. You can go and just... Google that if you're curious. But there are seven occasions where the psalmist write these songs that are like, they're offering their penitence. In other words, they're saying, God, I'm sorry. A really famous one, Psalm 51, where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. And Remember, at the top of that psalm, it says, After David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he, he sings and writes this penitential song." This is one of the seven penitential songs that can be found in the psalms. The writer is saying, God, I'm in this place, and I'm here. Because of my own choices. So, but he's not going to stay there. He's going to lift out of it. Now, there's a passage that you might uh, be aware of. Maybe you love this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. In chapter 7, verse 10, the writer of Corinthians, Paul, says, watch. He says, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul says all of those years later, maybe having known this penitential song of the Psalms 130, he's saying that, listen, there's a progression here. Godly sorrow (laughs) leads to repentance in which there is salvation and in which there's no regret. This is an interesting progression because, see, there cannot be repentance, real repentance without sorrow. There needs to be sorrow, and that sorrow motivates us. Now, it's interesting because there is this progression that is necessary in order to come out of a day profundus place. And I've lived it. I've seen it. I've lived it. It's not just something I've read about in a movie or read about in a book or seen a movie about. No, I've lived, I've lived that day profundus place where I came out of it. And I will tell you that it was the sorrow, the godly sorrow, that led to repentance, which led to salvation, in which there is no regret. So sometimes when, when we try to extend God's grace to someone... It's interesting because you you don't want to heap guilt and shame and shame and guilt, and you want to extend grace. Really, that's the message of the gospel: God's forgiveness, God's grace. With God, His forgiveness is plentiful. The writer says. But there is also this progression of 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 when, how long. See, you don't want to stay in godly sorrow your entire life, if you failed. You don't. In fact, that's not what God expects from you. It's not forever, but there should be a season. Where you say, okay, God, Lord, there is sorrow and I need this sorrow. And you don't want to nurse it and keep hold of it for too long. But you do want to experience it because that godly sorrow will lead to repentance. Which leads to salvation in which there is no regret. Now, it's interesting because uh, we just finished at a church in the Milwaukee A really wonderful church. I'd been a worship leader for many years. And then had, had been a campus pastor and was doing more preaching and teaching and uh, less music. And I thought, well, I'm getting to the age where... I'm not really going to do music anymore, you know? Lo and behold, we ended up going to this church in Milwaukee and and doing worship leading again, Jason and I, together. And when I was there, it was a large church, six or 7,000 people, and we would put on this big men's conference. And the conference was called No Regrets. And I was leading worship for it. And I really struggled because I'm thinking, I have regrets. I'm a person that has regrets. And I think that you can't live life with no regrets because if you don't regret anything, it means you never repented of it. So people who say, I have, people who live their lives and say, I have, I've lived it with no regrets. This scripture is not encouraging that. What it is saying is, again, watch this progression. Godly sorrow leads to repentance in which there is salvation, in which there are no regrets. So in other words, I don't regret that I had godly sorrow. I don't regret that I repented. I don't regret that I got God's salvation. Come on. God's salvation came to me through that progression. But to say, so I remember, you know, Jason and I, it was such a struggle when I was leading worship for this event because I'm wearing the t shirt, No Regrets. And I went to the guy who, t- who named the conference. And they was like 25 years earlier, so they weren't going to change the name of it. And I said, Help me understand the title because are we getting up in front of people, men, and thinking, Look at me, I have no regrets? It's like, No. I said, Where did you get the name? And he said, Well, it's from the passage where Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race i run the race, i finish finished strong. And I'm like, well, then call it finish strong or call it, I ran the race. But don't call it no regrets and promote this idea that we live life without regret. What I do not regret is the sorrow that led to repentance in which I found salvation. I do not regret that. But there are regrets that I have in my life. Anybody with me on this? Yes. On. So the day profundus writer, let's say it's a man, I can say it's a he. He's coming from this depths the depths of despair and he's there because of his own failure he's there because of his own sin so he's talking to the Lord and then he proceeds now to talk to himself have you ever talked to yourself (laughs) me too you know self-talk is good we need it self-talk is necessary and it's good so the psalmist now they've been talking to the Lord God oh Lord etc but then, in verse 5, watch what happens. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. The psalmist is saying, even in this day this displace, I'm looking for God like the watchman for the morning. I'm waiting for the sun to come up. I had a friend when I was a campus pastor in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And he'd been military police for like 20 years plus or something. And he worked in Alaska. Much of his uh, military experience was in Alaska. And he was a night watchman for years. And I remember going to him and saying, Jeff, tell me, what was it like when the sun would come up every morning? And he just was, you know, he said, you would just watch for it. You'd wait for it. And when it started coming up, there was an excitement about it. You see, this is how it is with the Lord. Even in our day profoundest places, we can expect that God will show up like the sun in the morning, and we wait for it. We're anticipating it. We're eager and hungry to see God show up with us in our de profundest places. So he's watching. He's looking. He's talking to himself. Now, one of the things I, I think about as a songwriter, I've, I've written songs through the years, is that a lot of songs are written instantaneously. And some you spend years writing. Rick, have you written songs? Yeah. Yes. So some so- like I have notebooks full of songs I've been working on for years. And I have other songs that come to me just instantly. It's really something. And, you know, uh, once I became a parent, it kind of changed even more, right? Parents, do you ever make up fun songs for your kids? Right? I do. So I've got all these silly songs that I would make up. But a lot of those would come to me very quickly, right? Uh, I'm walking through Costco one day. And just instantaneously, so I, I come up with this song that says, They've got shovels, they've got rakes. They've got chicken, they've got steaks. And they've got milk and they've got eggs. They've got shoes for your feet and soap for your face. Thank the Lord, Said thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for Costco. (laughs) See, I'm just walking through Costco. Some songs, they chase you down. You can't help I have songs that are for, written for my kids. I've got a song I wrote for my daughter about cutting her hair. I've got a diaper song. I'll save you that. Uh, <laughs> it's really good, though. Not quite Sunday morning material. But uh, I used to. And so when my kids were little, I would do this, you know, this routine. I'd have this diaper song, right? I'd sing. So some songs, they just come to you instantly. Some, you spend a long time writing. Here's what I think. I'm writer of this. Because it has this progression, because, watch this, when the songwriter was in this place of despair, maybe it took him a while to talk to himself. Maybe he wrote the first part of it, God, from the depths, I cry to you, God, hear me. God, let let your ears hear my cry. And then later he got to the point where he could talk to himself. He's like, wait, with God, his forgiveness is great, his mercy is great. And then eventually at the end, I think, however long it took him to write it, he gets to the place where now he's ready to declare it to the congregation, and I think at the end, his tone would have changed. Yep. His cadence would have picked up. The music would have changed. It would have went from being heavy and sad, and it's going to end joyfully. So watch this. The writer is not de profundis at the end. He says, "Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Yes. You see, at the end... Because he's experienced God meeting him in that day profundus place and lifting him out of it. It's it, it, like the watchman from the morning. God showed up in a beautiful, miraculous way. Now he's declaring it to others. He's declaring it to others. The day profundus. Yeah. So this is a very loved, loved, loved psalm. What I want to do is I want to connect it to the great commission that Jesus gives in the book of John. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to John chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 21. Whenever, I, 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 whenever I, I read Scripture in general, but particularly when I read the words of Jesus, those words that are in red, I always try as best as I can to try to hear the tone in which Jesus would have said something. Yeah. In our house, we talk a lot about tone, Jason and I. We talk with our children about tone. Have you ever talked to your children about their tone? Yeah. Right? Uh, You see, because the way that Jesus said some of the things he said, if you miss his tone, then you'll miss his truth. If you miss his tone, you'll miss his truth. Whenever I think about tone, once I was at a restaurant in California. I lived in California for about six years. And Clint Eastwood, well, I lived in the area. And so I'm at this restaurant one day, kind of a small restaurant. And right, like a table or two away from me, there's Clint Eastwood. And, you know, Clint Eastwood is like, go ahead, make my day, you know, whatever. (laughs) You know, the famous Clint Eastwood story. So, so I get up, this particular restaurant had a table, and after your lunch, you could go pick a cookie from the table. It was like your dessert, but you just pick a cookie, right? You didn't order, you just went and grabbed one. It's like a golf club. So I go, and I'm standing there, and I'm obsessing over which cookie I'm going to take, because I want the one with the most chips in it or whatever, right? Most chocolate chips. So I'm standing there, and I'm like this, and all of a sudden, this hand reaches in, and there stands Clint Eastwood with his cookie. And he goes, good cookies, huh? Good cookies, huh? And he said it just like, go ahead, make my day. (laughs) I mean, it sounded like somebody imitating Clint Eastwood, but no, it was really him, right? And what I realized is that Clint Eastwood, whatever he says, he kind of has a consistent tone. Whether it's good cookie, huh? Or go ahead, make my day. It's going to sound like Clint Eastwood. Watch this. Jesus, whatever he says, always is going to have a tone of love and grace and mercy. And see, some people miss this. So when they read Scripture, and particularly this passage right here, if you miss the tone of Jesus, you'll miss his truth. You'll miss this commission. You have to hear it right. If you hear it wrong, it'll mess you up. And let me tell you, this passage has been so misrepresented, and it's been gotten wrong so many times in the history of the church. Maybe in your own life you've seen this passage abused. But historically, I'm telling you, historical Christianity has gotten this one bad a lot. Horribly bad. A lot. So watch what Jesus says. He's resurrected. He's speaking to his disciples. And he's commissioning them. He's sending them out. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them... And he said, now watch this. This is the important part. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And here, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. If you forgive, then others will be forgiven. But if you don't forgive, their sins will be retained. It's such a curious saying of Jesus. And the church has historically missed this because particularly, and I'll just say this, particularly the Catholic church, we're talking hundreds of years ago before the Reformation, had this terribly bad. So they had what they called indulgences. Do you remember what an indulgence was? It's where you would pay the church or pay the priest for forgiveness. And they would indulge you. This is why Martin Luther led the Reformation, right? One of the big problems he had was that he saw how corrupt the church had become. And what the church was doing literally was selling forgiveness. And Martin Luther stands up and stuff. he's reforming, he's he's protesting. Thus, we today are Protestants, right? We're Protestants because we're part of that tradition that left the Catholic church, if you will, in the 1600s. His big issue was the indulgences. It was the fact that the church had missed, with this passage, they misunderstood. And see, here's what they did. They got confused about authority and responsibility. They thought they had the authority to not forgive. Can you imagine withholding forgiveness from someone until they pay a certain amount of money? Can you imagine? It was so corrupt, right? They misunderstood, and they thought they had the authority to not forgive. This passage is not about authority. It is about responsibility. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I give you this enormous responsibility. If you go out, And you proclaim forgiveness, then people will get forgiven. But if you go out and you withhold forgiveness, then people will miss it. And as his disciples, he's saying to them, it's your responsibility to go proclaim my forgiveness. To go proclaim the truths that are found in Psalm 130 where the psalmist says, with God, his forgiveness and his mercy is abundant. (laughs) it's abundant and it's available to you. But see, the church often, the historical church, I'm not saying this church, I sat under a pastor years ago, whenever he would bring up a point similar to this, he would say something like, a church a million miles away from here. So not necessarily this church, but the historical church, I'm telling you that many, many churches... Today and in the history of the church, they've missed this principle. So what they've done is they thought that they had the authority, and many churches have not been about proclaiming forgiveness. They've been about judging. Okay? They've been about judging. Now, the whole thing with judgment gets very complicated because in Matthew 7 when Jesus says, Judge not lest ye be judged. Right? But he says, first, remove the beam out of your own eye. Then you can help your neighbor with the speck in their eye. Jesus is not saying never judge. He's just saying be careful when you do. So right, so there should be some judgment in our lives. We are permitted and encouraged, but we're encouraged to do it in a certain fashion where we've said, okay, God, I've worked on, I'm not perfect, but God, I'm working on the log in my own eye. But, so there are times where we are to offer judgment, but the church should not be, it should not be the mission of your life or the church to just be about judgment. Right. Jesus is telling his disciples, you have the responsibility to forgive. And if you don't do it, then people will miss my salvation. Do you see how much responsibility is in that? It's about responsibility and not authority. So, I think the commission that Jesus is giving us, even these thousands of years later, is this same thing he said to the disciples. You need to go out and proclaim my forgiveness because if you don't, people will miss it. It's the message of the gospel. Now, I think there are two types of de profundis people. There are two types I'm going to give to you. There are those who are in the depths. They experience uh, the sense of their guilt and their sin. They're convicted. And the sorrow, godly sorrow, leads them to repentance. And they are saved, if you will, for the very first time. And they're coming de profundis. They're coming from the depths. And God's salvation is plentiful. And it's there for them. Maybe someone declared, God, his forgiveness is here for you. And they experienced it. And, you know, to be de profundis, it doesn't mean necessarily that you need to be on the streets, uh, homeless, uh, strung out on drugs. No, there can be de profundis people who are at the country club, in the, in the, in the penthouse, if you will. I, I look at the, the, uh, when John, in John 3, John gives a story of Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. Remember? Nicodemus is highly educated, he's a Pharisee, he's a professional, he's probably, he probably has great means, and Jesus goes out of his way, they meet on the rooftop at night, and they have this conversation, it's where we get one of our favorite passages, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Jesus was about Nicodemus types, and Nicodemus, at one point in his life, was going to have to come to this place where he wanted to be born again. And it takes a De Profundus type of awakening, even for educated, wealthy people, right? But then the next story that John goes into is the story of the woman at the well, remember? And she's scandalous. Been married all these times, shacked up with some guy that's not her husband. She's a mess, right? She's De Profundus. And what does Jesus do? He goes and proclaims forgiveness to her. See, this is what Jesus, this is the life he lived. Forgiveness. He's proclaiming God's grace and mercy, his forgiveness. And she goes back and the whole town gets saved, remember? So there are the de profundis types where it's the first time they're born again, they're saved. They follow Jesus. And they come from the depths. They're saved. But there's a second type of de profundis person that I think the church has a harder time with. In fact, often the church, not this church necessarily, a church a million miles away. <laughs> Come on. The, 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 the day profondest types that often the church is horrible about dealing with are those Christians who've maybe been following the Lord for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 60 years. And in the midst of their journey, they mess up. They sin. They blow their life up. Historically, the church is often not very good at celebrating forgiveness over those type of De Profundus. Bonhoeffer, if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a pastor in Germany during the Nazi regime. He died just days before uh, the war was over in prison. He was put to death, martyred for his faith because he stood up to Hitler. He was a, you know, just profound writer. And he writes in Life Together. I've had this little book for like, since my early 20s. And uh, this is what he says. He says, Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is, is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. But it is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for the pious to understand that it confronts us with the truth And says, you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. See, Bonhoeffer says, sometimes we are just shocked when we find out that there are sinners among us. We don't know how to deal with it. And so, particularly those who find themselves in a day-performed place and they've been a believer for many years. It's like the church, man, often can just really, really, really struggle. And you know what? I think Jesus is saying, go to those who've never experienced my salvation and proclaim that my forgiveness is plentiful and go to those who've served me for years, who followed me for years, but for whatever reason, they found themselves de profundis because of their own decisions and go to them also and declare the forgiveness of God is plentiful. But see, the second one's harder, especially if you feel betrayed and you're like, how could this person who... Love Jesus. End up in this place. How did this happen? The forgiveness of God is there for both, and Jesus's great commission is to go declare it, to go proclaim it. So I want to add this truth to your repertoire. I hope that you remember the De Profundis. That psalm that's called the De Profundis. I hope you remember that we talked about it and we connected it to Jesus' great commission. You see, we have to go out to De Profundus types. Find them. Find them. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're at your work. And the gospel is you proclaiming, listen, God's forgiveness is plentiful. God's forgiveness is available to you. And God's forgiveness can change your life. You don't have to stay De Profundus. You can ascend out. And what enables you to ascend out it's God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's mercy. And I think the commission that Jesus gave is for all of us, all of us, to go to our family, to go to our friends, whether they're newly saved or they've been following Jesus for years, but go find some de profoundest types and proclaim the forgiveness of God over them. Amen. Yeah. The worship team's going to come. Let me pray for us. God, I remember in my own life seasons of being de profundis, seasons, God, where I felt very much in the depths, hopeless, uh, with guilt, with shame, and I thank you, God, that there were people who came, they crawled in there with me, and they said, the forgiveness of God is plentiful. My life is different because of it, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us, God, to become the types of people that go seek out actively every day those that we can declare your forgiveness over. Help us, God. Jesus, help us to be like you. To those who are de profundis. Thank you for your great love and mercy. In Jesus' name. And everyone together said. Amen. Amen.